Hi, this is Roy Shoman, and welcome again to Jesus, the Promised Messiah of Judaism, the show on Radio Maria that celebrates the Jewish roots of the Catholic Church, or seen the other way around that celebrates the fulfillment, the full realization of all of the promise of Judaism in the Catholic Church and her sacraments. Well, a few weeks ago, I had the pleasure of being the guest on somebody else's podcast, a young man who is also a convert from Judaism, who lives in Tokyo now. His name is Daniel Suazo, and I believe that his uh, podcast is called The Jewish Catholic. And he had me on for an interview that I think was quite exciting, went very well, to Jewish Catholic converts, so to speak, uh, discussing matters of common interest about Judaism and the Catholic Church. And I thought it would be a bit of a treat to play that interview on today's show. So since it runs pretty much the full hour, I don't really have time to do anything except this introduction, and let's hear the episode of The Jewish Catholic from a couple of weeks ago in which I was interviewed by the host, Daniel Suazo, also a Jewish convert. I hope you enjoy it. All right, just for everybody watching right now, I am joined here by the author, the amazing Roy Schumann. Uh, our gentleman over here is a very special guest to me because, in case you don't know a lot about my journey, when I began my walk towards Catholicism, it was his work that really, really helped me to embrace the fact that I can be Jewish within the church. Uh, watching a lot of his videos from his channel, which is Salvation is from the Jews. But excellent. Thank you for uh, joining me here today. Uh, well, right now I'm over here in Tokyo, so we have a very different time zone. Of course, it's hard to schedule these things often, but I'm glad that we're able to still link up even though we have that strange time zone difference. Mm -hmm. uh, before I go ahead and dig into the topic of the day, uh, if you don't mind giving the viewers just a little bit about yourself. Uh it all started. It all started. Um, my, my ministry all started when... Uh, around the turn of the millennium when I started writing Salvation is from the Jews, the role of Judaism in salvation history from Abraham to the second coming. Um, as a Jew in the Catholic Church, it seemed evident to me that the Catholic Church was actually post-Messianic Judaism and Judaism was pre-Messianic Catholicism. They weren't really two separate religions. There were one religion in uh, that uh, was uh, in two phases two phases separated by the greatest event that ever happened in creation, which was the incarnation of God as man, uh, the Jewish Messiah from the perspective before it happened, and Jesus Christ from the perspective after it happened, uh, but the same person, needless to say. Right. And uh, that book uh, was actually was accepted for publication by Ignatius Press, which was a miracle in itself, since I had no credentials. And it led to speaking on EWTN and being on a lot of EWTN shows and being invited to give talks. And then I wrote another book, Honey from the Rock, which is just a collection of witness testimonies of Jews in the Catholic Church. Anyway, kind of morphed into this thing where I do a lot of radio, I do a lot of television. I have a daily live stream on my YouTube channel, which is Salvation is from the Jews on YouTube. I have a website, salvationisfromthejews.com that has more information on me as well as hundreds of hours of audio and, and video archives, all free. Um, and uh, I did a, a number of series, YouTube video series, um, <laughs> for instance, one called What is Judaism, which runs about 24 hours. I think it's in 12, 12 two-hour segments uh, that just basically discusses what Judaism is, you know, from Abraham until 2021 and uh, all kinds of things like that. So I think that's the answer to your question. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you so much for providing that for everyone, the viewers as well. And that series that you have, uh, what is Judaism? I actually have it saved to my channel in case anybody wants to view it. Of course, you can go to uh, Roy's channel, but you can also find it linked in my channel as well, just because I think it's some of the most uh, useful information out there, especially if you really want to know how Judaism comes from where it came from and is where it is now. 
And specifically, I really like uh, the way that you phrase it, which is saying that Catholicism really is just post-Messianic Judaism. And I think that's a really, really good way to phrase it, uh, particularly in my channel. Uh, for those of you that already know, it, this is just redundant, but uh, my channel began sharing my story as a Messianic Jewish believer. And then as I started to become convinced of the Catholic Church, uh, everything changed for me and everything became more the Jewish Catholic, similar to yourself. So with that being said, I, both of our stories are a little bit different. You were actually raised in conservative Judaism, I would say. Is that correct? Yeah, that's fair. What would you say your day-to-day -day life looked like as a conservative Jewish person? Uh, my Jewish identity was the center of my identity. I went to Jewish religious education twice a week, you know, after school and on Sundays. And... Um, I, uh, I mean, I was, I was, I was pious, but I didn't have any daily, daily liturgical practice or anything. I, I went to, um, uh, you know, I went to Jewish Sunday school and I went to, I went through different phases. I went through a neo-Hasidic phase where I became the disciple of a, of a kind of hippie Hasidic rabbi. I, I see that you have at least one Jewish, Shlomo Karlbach, if that means mm. anything to any of you. Yes, yes. Um, and, uh, you know, I, there were periods when I, when I went to shul uh, pro probably pretty much every Sabbath. There were periods when I was Shomer Shabbat or observing of the Sabbath, but, but they were a little bit few and far between. They were more when I was in late high school and um, early university. So you began in your life walking this way. What made it all change? Where did you start kind of departing, if you will, from that normative Judaism lifestyle? Well, I basically, I, uh, I hooked up, so to speak, with Shlomo Karlbach, my senior year in high school. And so I was, I was uh, kind of in his entourage um, then and the summer between high school and university, I went to MIT and the beginning of my time at MIT. And that's when I was at the height of my observance. Um, but then uh, probably by the end of my freshman year at MIT, um, I had um, adopted a style of life which was inconsistent with religious Judaism. And I also, um, you know, I fell into pretty serious sin and I um, also was intoxicated with the, you know, MIT worldview, which was um, extremely, uh, let's say, subjective when it comes to religion. I mean, that I guess you can believe anything you want to believe, but it's not because it's true. Right. And by the time I finished MIT, I was essentially uh, atheist, although I still maintained Jewish practice because it was right. uh, such a deep part of my identity. I've, of course, I've watched your testimony several times, and I'm sure many of the viewers have as well. But when I watch your story, I think that one of the biggest and most in intriguing parts for me is the fact that your way into Catholicism really began through a special experience that you had in regards to the Blessed Mother. Uh, could you share a little bit about that? I'm, I'll share about my experience with the Blessed Mother, but it's not really a completely complete description because... Mm -hmm. My path into Catholicism began when I had a theophany of God, mm. God, 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 wow. um, which turned me fanatically religious, only I didn't know what religion this was because it was a direct experience. And then after a year of kind of floundering, praying to know um, who this God was and what religion it was, uh, then I had an experience of the Blessed Virgin Mary which pretty much uh, set the path towards the Catholic Church. So what part do you want me to talk about? Well, now that you mentioned about the theophany, if you will, what was it about that experience that really shocked you so much that it made you devout? Nothing shocked me. Um, mm -hmm. I, um, I found myself very immediately in the presence of God in a very intimate state of communication uh, kind of mind meld, you know, kind of emerging of minds where 
any question I asked, I was shown the answer to. Mm. And um, I, I was extremely aware of his uh, personal involvement in my life and his personal love for me every moment of my existence. And I um, got the privilege of essentially understanding my life and, and everything about my life the way I will after I die and I find myself in the presence of God. And so I understood what was what mattered and what didn't matter. I understood what, how, what I would wish I had done every minute of my life when I was dead and in the presence of God. And once I knew that, of course, priorities change. <laughs> I mean, I knew we lived forever, which I didn't know before this. Even as a Jew, I didn't know we lived forever, by the way. Mm. Oh, wow. Interesting. Um, well, I'm happy to debate any any Jew about the Jewish teaching about the afterlife, but it's it's not as complete, let's say, as the Catholic mm -hmm. teaching. Right. Um, anyway, so I knew we lived forever. I knew that we would be rewarded for all eternity for every action we did that it was a value in the eyes of heaven. And therefore, I, all I cared about was being rewarded for all eternity and sure. spending every minute doing something of value in the eyes of heaven, which is why I'm doing the show, by the way. Very selfish reasons. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> no, that's excellent. Um, now, I really want to dig into the Blessed Mother. But before we do that, the reason why I wanted to share this, I don't know if you remember, a long time ago, I had actually gotten in contact with you. And this is a little story for anybody watching. Um, I didn't know who to reach out to. I seriously felt completely alone as a Jewish believer in Yeshua, Jesus. I had no idea that you could even be Jewish and be part of the church, especially when from the Jewish side, everybody told me that if I became Christian and I'm a believer in Yeshua, that you were basically throwing away uh, your whole heritage. You were disowned from certain sections of your family, depending on how religious they are. So I felt really alone. And then I found your work and I emailed you and I told you about this really tough obstacle for me which was the Blessed Mother. For you, um, as you said, you had this experience first and then came in the situation where you had an encounter, if you will, with the Blessed Mother. Um, but did you ever before that have any struggle, particularly with accepting, for example, dogmas related to the Blessed Mother? Before I had the experience of the Blessed Virgin Mary, right, um, I had no relationship to Christianity. <laughs> so mm -hmm. I, I mean, wow. um, I never really thought about the Blessed Mother, and I certainly didn't take seriously the story, you know, of her, her, of her perpetual virginity and so forth, you know, and the Virgin Birth and the Immaculate Conception and so forth. Um, I, you know, I didn't know. The blessed mother from adam so to speak i mean the only thing i knew about the blessed mother before i had the experience of her literally was from seeing christmas crashes occasionally at christmas mm -hmm. time and hearing christmas carols like like silent night mm -hmm. um that's all i knew about her so no i didn't have any feelings about her at all um afterwards I, I had huge feelings about her right. can i respond to something on the chat stream from a, a jewish uh, viewer yeah absolutely go ahead go ahead Okay, um, I know this isn't a place to get into, you know, one-on-one, -on -one, but there's a Jewish viewer who says Catholicism works 100% against Torah. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think what he means by that is against Jewish law. And I would like to point out for our viewers who are not familiar with the Talmud, that the Talmud itself says that after the Messiah comes, it discusses what Jewish law is still going to be uh, valid, what's going to be held on to, and what isn't. And there's discussion in the Talmud that says after the Messiah comes, pigs will be kosher. So, and that's, that's how we understand it. I mean, in other words, we know that Jesus being the Jewish Messiah uh, basically redefined Jewish law or redefined the laws that men had to live up to, to be in union with God. And this isn't, this isn't, you know, crazy Catholics thinking this. The Talmud thinks it. Um, we will dig into a little bit of these type of topics later on in the chat. So if you guys have any questions, really important, deep questions, 
that we'll actually be able to address correctly. Leave them later in that section when we're taking questions. But thank you anyway, Roy, for answering that because I know that is a huge issue for a lot of people. Now, um, just to share a little bit from my side, um, so just you see the comparison between our different stories. Um, like I mentioned, I was raised as a Pentecostal Christian. It, it's my heritage that is Jewish. My ancestors are Jewish. After living in this way of Protestantism, I ended up really clinging into the Jewish roots, and I lived halakhically as a Jew for over a decade. Um, and I mean, pretty much, you know, keeping Shabbat, Shomer Shabbos, uh, eating kosher, keeping the feast, wearing titiot, going to synagogue every week, things of that nature. Uh, but then what made me start going into Catholicism, if you will, was the desire of, for me to get to know what the real believers in Yeshua actually lived like. And I know that you know a lot about uh, the Talmud. You've researched your things in that area. And that's all I knew. But then I had this feeling that I was missing something. So then I started looking at the Apostolic Fathers and what they thought and it scared me because it seemed to me too Catholic. It, it was just so weird to me because I, when I read it, for example, if we look at Clement of Rome or Polycarp and all of these mentions of the Eucharist, and I was like, okay, there's something wrong here. This can't be. And, and I just want to, because I don't know, some of your viewers aren't aware of this. When you say apostolic fathers, mm -hmm. you're talking about, Christians so early on that they learned the religion from the apostles who were That's at right. the Last Supper. Right. So exactly. it didn't have time to get corrupted by Constantine and Rome and all of that stuff because these people learned the faith from people who were at the Last Supper. Exactly. Exactly. And you know, that's the reason why I wanted to search with them first, because prior to this, what I was told is that after Constantine, everything became paganized. That's when the church went downhill. So, of course, my logic was go to the earliest. Uh, I started reading things like the Didache, which also spoke of the Eucharist as a sacrifice. And that also shocked me. Um, for you, what role did the apostolic fathers play in your studies and research into the Catholic Church? Uh, none. I, I wasn't aware of them until... Um... Uh, until much later. I mean, I mean, I love them, but um, they, I mean, I had no Protestantism in me whatsoever. Mm -hmm. So I had no other version of Christianity that I was dealing with whatsoever. You know, I went straight from being an anti-Christian Jew to being hopelessly in love with the Blessed Virgin Mary and knowing that she literally is the connection between divinity and humanity. That Well, let me rephrase that because if I don't want to, you know, diss Jesus. But from my experience of her, after that experience, I saw in that experience that all of the grace that flows from divinity into humanity flows through the Blessed Virgin Mary. You know, so that meant, you know, pretty soon that, you know, we're talking about the Catholic Church. Right. Um, so I didn't have to deal with any uh, misconceptions about Christianity. Other than that, it was all fiction, <laughs> which was the Jewish <laughs> misconception about Christianity. I see. Yes, yes. All the strange stories that get told outside of Christianity. But I guess everybody seems to speak ill of the Catholic Church, whether it comes from the, Catholic, the Jewish side or the Protestant side. There always seems to be some kind of persecution, if you will. Uh, but then again, Yeshua, this is what he told us would happen, right? That we would be persecuted as well. Now... Because you have been speaking about the Blessed Virgin Mary, could you share a little bit about that experience that sure. changed everything? Um, after that initial theophany, um, I knew a lot of theological truths. I knew about divine providence. I knew about God's love. I knew about heaven and, and rewarding, you know, being rewarded for all eternity and so forth. Um, but I didn't know what religion this was, and I didn't know what 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 god this was mm -hmm. and he wasn't the god of judaism that i had grown up with who was much more distant and mm -hmm. i'll just say distant than this god was so every night before going to sleep i would say a short prayer i had made up um to know the name of my lord and god and master who had revealed himself to me that day 
now I'm going to do a little digression. I'm a big believer in homemade prayers. Mm. I mean, I say the rosary, you know, nothing wrong with, you know, formula prayers. Yeah, but I, God I is listening to us. <laughs> God is listening to us. God loves us. God cares about us. You know, if you think of God as a doting grandfather of yours or something, he doesn't only want to hear canned prayers. He wants to hear what's on your heart. He wants you to communicate with him. He wants to hear what you want from him heart to heart. And um, I know a Jewish convert. I don't know if you know of her, Rhonda Chervin. Mm -hmm. But um, when she began to hang out with some Catholics, mm -hmm. and she was a totally atheist Jew, totally atheist. Her parents were uh, hardcore communists, in fact. Wow. Um, when she began to have some Catholic friends, her prayer was, God, if you exist, save my soul if I have a soul. Wow. And that was enough for Jesus to make himself known to her. Amazing. A saint, um, uh, mm, I'm drawing a blank, French mm -hmm. saint, turn of the century, evangelized uh, the, the Muslims in, in Arabia, Claude de Foucault. Mm -hmm. um, he was an atheist. Uh, and his prayer was, God, if you exist, I have to know. So I, I, that's by way of saying this was a homemade prayer that I would say right. before going to sleep every night. But it was what I wanted. It was what I meant, which was, you know, <laughs> to know the name of my Lord and God and Master had revealed himself to me. Right. So a year after the first experience, I went to sleep. I thought I was woken by hand on my shoulder and led to a room and left alone with the most beautiful young woman I could ever imagine. Mm. And just to be in her presence, to feel the love that flowed from her, was to be lifted up into a state of ecstasy greater than I ever imagined could exist. Mm. And um, I, I knew without being told it was the Blessed Virgin Mary. And um, don't I don't know how I knew that. I mean, I was just inspired, you know, it was just yeah. like, uh, you know, put into my brain. And uh, the first thing she said to me was she offered to answer any questions I might have for her. Amazing. So I asked her about six or seven questions, which she answered. And then she spoke a little longer. And then the audience was ended. And I went back to sleep. And the next morning, when I woke up, I knew it had been Christ in that first experience. He had revealed himself to me in his divinity, not in his humanity. So he didn't look like uh, which side is it on? He didn't yeah. look like that picture back there. You know, yeah. it, it was it was really pure divinity. Mm -hmm. uh, but anyway, I knew it had been Christ, and I knew who the Blessed Virgin Mary was. Um, in particular, I knew <laughs> that she was, um, I'll just say, the most exalted of creatures. That she, mm -hmm. although she was pure creature, which is, by the way, one of the things she told me. Mm -hmm. um, nonetheless. God uses her as the conduit, the pipeline between divinity and humanity to carry all the graces that he sheds on humanity. Right. And I saw that. So, so that, that's my answer, I guess. <laughs> that's yeah. the short version of what happened with Mary. No, that's excellent. And you know what's interesting? At the way that you were just describing uh, the Blessed Mother, it literally sounds to me like you, if we were in ancient Israel, if you were describing the Ark of the Covenant. And that's one of the things that for me actually helped me to be able to embrace the Blessed Mother intellectually. Uh, just understanding her through the lens of typology and seeing her as the new Eve, the Ark of the New Covenant, and all of these things. Now, for me, as I mentioned before, it was a, a real struggle to embrace the Blessed Mother. Uh, but what I find interesting about both your story and my situation is that it really seems to be triggered in a different way when she steps into the scene. And what I mean by that is that I remember, of course, right now we're in the middle of a, a health situation around the world where, you know, for a year and a half, churches have been locked down around the world and it's been chaos. Uh, for me, I was in the middle of discovering Catholicism while all of this is happening and I didn't have a church to go to. Um, but then it, they ended up opening and you needed to make reservations. So I RSVP'd. That same night when I finally RSVP'd for my very first mass, I was in this state of half asleep and I see in this weird state, I couldn't even tell if I was asleep or awake. 
But what I see is the church that I was going to go to, the actual temple itself, if you will. And while I'm there, I see a lot of people that are so happy. I see families. I see children laughing and smiling. And everybody was so excited about the Eucharist. And all of a sudden, I feel, which is the weird part about this, I feel the voice of who I knew was the Blessed Mother. And again, just like you, I had no idea how I knew that it was her. But I knew. And the words that she said in a nonverbal manner were, I'm happy for you. In other words, saying that she was happy that I'm, I actually made the move and stopped being a chicken <laughs> to actually go to, to my first mass. Um, and then from there, I had other experiences. Like one that I'd like to share is uh, one time I was in the train. So I'm, I live in Tokyo and the way of transportation pretty much everywhere is via train. I was on the way home and all of a sudden I get super nauseous. I felt like I was going to pass out. I was sitting down, thankfully, and I closed my eyes because I knew that I was about to pass out. I was holding onto my backpack as tight as I could, and I feel myself getting dizzy. All of a sudden, again, I hear that familiar voice, which is not audible, but something that I felt rather. And I knew it was the Blessed Mother. And she says, if you would only hold on to this little rosary. I didn't know what that meant, but all of a sudden I see a tiny little rosary appear in my mind's eye and I grab that little rosary and I kid you not, immediately I felt better. The cold sweats that I had were gone. I felt energized. I felt fully alert, but I waited because I assumed that this was perhaps a placebo effect. So I didn't want to make a big deal out of it. And I'm like, okay, let me see if I'm going to get sick again. I'm just going to wait. I get off the train, I immediately call my wife and I told her, honey, I have to tell you what just happened to me. I told her this story. And just these little things really led me into understanding that the Blessed Mother is a huge part in salvation history. Um, now, before we continue into the next part, which is basically what it's like to be Jewish and Catholic in the church today, uh, was there anything else from your personal story or testimony that you would like to share before we dive into that area? Um, I'm doing this for the sake of the uh, viewers. It's a little bit obnoxious, but, mm -hmm. but just um, uh, I think it may be useful for a few people. Before I had that experience, actually at the time that I had that experience of the theophany, um, I was a professor at Harvard Business School. So I'm saying that not because I'm proud of being a professor of Harvard Business School, but because, um, you know, I sound like a nut <laughs> to people who <laughs> don't believe in God. I sound like a nut. And I'm not saying I'm not a nut, but I had pretty good credentials before I became a nut. So that's all I want to add. <laughs> Oh, well, that actually is a, I know like you're saying, it's not like trying to puff yourself up, but it is good that you mentioned that because for a lot of people, when they hear stories like yours, the immediate thought might be like exactly that. This guy's crazy. He doesn't know what he's talking about. He's probably a loon. But when you realize the fact that this is a completely sane person that was in Harvard Business School, went to MIT and you're an author. It's not just some random person. This is something that is, is a big deal if it was so huge that it would change your life from being a complete atheist to somebody who's completely devoted to the Blessed Mother and via her graces through her by Yeshua. Um, now, what I wanted to talk about the next part, um, it's what it is like being a Jewish person within the church. From the other side, from the Jewish side, that uh, they treat you as a leper and that you've rejected everything. How has that been for you? Uh, most Jews, I mean, the, the, my rabbi, hometown rabbi growing up, uh, who expected to be my father-in-law, um, he, he got very vicious. I mean, the rabbis that I was a disciple of when I was growing up, they got very personally vicious and they probably felt like they nursed a viper in their bosom or something. Wow. Um, but um, other Jews, most Jews are used to the fact that a lot of Jews apostatize. Mm -hmm. 
and become Christians. And they decide it's because they, you know, like blue eyed blondes and wanted to marry one or, or they were tired of not being allowed into the good country clubs or they, you know, want to be accepted or whatever. And um, so they usually trivialize the rationale for apostatizing to Christianity, but they're very used to it and they don't get super hot under the collar unless they're your father or your hometown rabbi or something like that. Right. Now, continuing um, on what it's like being Jewish within the faith, do you have any family members um, in your closer circle of your family that are practicing Jews at the moment? I, um, I mean, you know, if it's too personal, you don't my, have to First of that. all, look, first of all, my my family basically disowned me. I mean, uh, with the exception of my parents and my sister. But I mean, they don't. You know what I mean? They yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, both my parents have passed away, but both of them had deathbed conversions to the Catholic faith, uh -huh. and both of them were uh, baptized before they died. Shortly before they died, Jesus actually appeared to my father just before he died. That's what got him to uh, change his views and uh, my mother um it was a more gradual process but it was supernatural and she actually received uh, she never received the eucharist but she she was baptized she was confirmed she was vested with the brown scapula she was given an apostolic blessing uh and she was given last rites and she was buried all in the tridentine rite by the way wow that's amazing so um so they ended up really good although in in the case of both of them uh until uh in the case of my mother about two months before she died she was virulently opposed to my conversion and my father until jesus appeared to him which was about three weeks before he died was virulently opposed to my conversion um and uh the rest of my family to tell the truth um, they're, they, they identify very strongly with their Judaism. You know, you know, they may make a gesture. I mean, they may not have pork or, or lobster at home, you know, but they're mm -hmm. certainly not kosher. Um, you know, everything's a joke and, and Jewish ethnicity, uh, mm -hmm. there isn't any real God at the other end of their Judaism, which wow. by the way, I don't want to offend anybody. I turned off your comment stream cause I didn't want to be offended, <laughs> but, um, it's all too prevalent in Judaism. And the big, the big danger in Judaism is making Jewish identity into God rather than having Judaism be a way to God. Wow. That is, that is actually extremely deep. And I think that's one of the things that I've begun to notice in the past couple of months as well. Uh, specifically because I still try to stay in touch with what rabbis are teaching specifically online, you know, these these are the influencers, if you will, in the Jewish world right now, uh, the ones that have channels and they promulgate their own messages. And I see how the followers or disciples or viewers of these rabbis are so devoted either to the rabbi themselves or to the Jewish identity that I don't see where God is in the mix. It's more about the practice itself than it is having that connection with God. Now, the reason why I was asking before if you have any family that uh, is Jewish uh, is, or in the process of converting or anything like that is because I wanted to know if anybody was in my situation, which is, um, and I think I mentioned this in our previous talks back in the day, which was I still love being Jewish, right? So I, I hold on to my heritage in the sense that I practice some of the things. I, I keep Shabbat. Uh, to the best of my ability, I eat kosher, I still wear a kippah, um, and all of these things. Does it seem weird to you that somebody like me would be doing these things still as a Catholic believer? Um, first of all, worry, I'm I wouldn't be offended. <laughs> no, I'm a big proponent of, of what St. Paul said, which is essentially, if you fast, fast for the glory of God. If you feast, feast for the glory of God. Um, if you, um, you know, if you're, if you're doing these things to reverence God, mm -hmm. reverence Jesus, as a matter of fact, right. um, then, you know, I don't see why they would be offensive. 
Um, I wear talus in, in my morning prayer. Oh, wow. That's the fringed prayer shawl for the Gentile viewers. <laughs> um, and uh, it's actually, I mean, I would wear something else. I mean, I, I, but it's actually very useful if you're going to go into prayer mode mm -hmm. to um, do something which separates you physically from not being in prayer mode. That's why I light, lit that candle, by the way, back there at the yes. beginning of the show. Yeah. You know, that's something you can do to kind of officially make this prayer mode. Absolutely. Um, and um, I, I pray the Jewish holidays, but I don't pray them. I pray them in the light of Christ. Of course. But, um, you know, I'm very aware when it's Tishbav. I'm very aware when it's Yom Kippur. I'm very aware when it's Rosh Hashanah. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I turn my prayer on those days into a kind of flavored prayer for the conversion of the Jews in the light of what that holiday is nominally about, so to speak. Mm -hmm. um, so, no, I don't think it's I don't think it's weird at all. Um, it's a little dangerous. It's a little dangerous because yeah. it would be wrong if you thought it was um, uh, uh, nor if it was a if you thought it was a moral imperative on you. Right. Um, I think I think the church is actually unambiguous about that. Mm -hmm. You're in big trouble if you think it has salvific value. That's correct. But um, if you're doing it because it's you know where your heart is and um, you know you're uniting. Look, I mean, Eder Stein, who everybody knows, I hope. Yes. You know, when she went to the um, gas chambers at Auschwitz, um, I, well, well, when she was taken away, first of all, by the Gestapo to the train to Auschwitz, she said to her sister, who was taken away at the same time, they were in a Carmelite convent, come, let us go for our people. Mm. <laughs> right? I mean, it was, she went to her death at Auschwitz yeah. as a Jew, who is also a Catholic, uniting... See, she what she said was, um, most Jews don't know enough to unite their suffering with the suffering of Christ on the cross. Right. As Jews who do know enough, it falls on us to take all of their suffering with us to the cross. Mm. Wow. Right? Yes. So... That I, I would argue that you could say that that has a, a certain resonance with your wearing a kippah or your keeping kosher or whatever. You're you're somehow bringing bringing the Jewish people that you still feel united to spiritually with you into um, the church. Wow, that's yeah. I'm getting I'm pretty deep. It must be that candle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's really good. It, I'm, I'm listening to you, and my heart is like, yes, this is. It makes sense. And, you know, that's actually one other thing that uh, walking into Catholicism really changed my perspective in regards to suffering and, you know, offering up your sufferings, offering up your struggles. It's something that makes every part of my life worth it um, because I know that nothing is in vain if I do it in honoring God, which is kind of like what you mentioned before. So it makes every part of my day, every facet of my life important. Um, one other thing that I was wondering for you personally, do you find that there are more Jewish people from what you can see coming into the church in this day and age? Well, there's the whole Messianic Jewish phenomenon. Mm -hmm. um, messianic Jews. Um, there are I, I think that there are more Jews who are receiving the grace of recognizing Jesus as the Messiah mm -hmm. than perhaps have ever been. Um, I think, see, I don't know what you mean by church, actually, um, because, but anyway, um, I think a very, relatively small number make it into the Catholic Church. Right. And I think that's because the Catholic Church doesn't believe in the conversion of the Jews or evangelizing the Jews to the extent that it should. I mean, technically it believes in it. I mean, I, you know, it's, it's still in the doctrine, mm -hmm. but uh, pastorally, um, you know, it's hard to find much interest mm -hmm. among in, in the Catholic hierarchy for evangelizing the Jews or even encouraging, you know, entry into the church. Yeah. For me, what I seem to find in, in that regard is that, 
because of the heritage, not heritage, but because of the things that have been seen throughout the history of the church in the Catholic church, we have seen, like we spoke about before, these things that are perceived as very anti-Semitic. Um, I feel that the church now kind of feels guilt and doesn't want to force itself against anyone. So it, it came from a very strong point of view. Let's convert everybody into uh, let's leave the Jews and give them their space. From my side, that's anti-Semitism. Yeah. Uh, Rosalind Moss says there's no greater anti-Semitism than withholding the Jewish Messiah from the Jews. Right. And, and exactly that's what I was going to get to, which is for me, it's, it's the opposite. I feel that it's our responsibility uh, to be praying for our people, to be actively. Now, when it comes to uh, the church nowadays, I, I think it is very passive in regards to their outreach for Jewish people. What could uh, Gentile brethren do to be more inviting? For Jewish people, what, what do you think would be a strategy? Well, the first thing is is to pray for the conversion of the Jews um, and, uh, and to maybe, I don't know exactly how to put this, but simply um, consider, consider the situation, the true situation. Um, I, the first time I gave a kind of model Seder at a Catholic parish after I became Catholic, one of the women cornered the pastor in the kitchen and said, how dare you let him stand up there and say Jesus was Jewish? Wow. <laughs> you know, so um, the sad. first step is actually to become more conscious that Jesus was Jewish, St. Peter was Jewish. All of the apostles were Jewish. The Blessed Virgin Mary was Jewish. Um, you owe, you being the Gentile Catholics, you owe the church to the Jews. You owe the incarnation to the Jews. You owe the purity and, um, and nobility of the Blessed Virgin Mary, in some sense, to the Jews. Right. Um, your heart should go out to the tragedy of the people to whom God revealed himself missing the boat. And uh, missing the boat, you know, in part because of mistreatment by misguided Christians over the centuries. I mean, there's no question about that. Right. Um, and so I, I say the first thing is to kind of get a kind of heart for the situation of um, the, basically the tragedy of, of Jews not having the Jewish Messiah. Because just thinking that way is going to produce implicit prayer. Another thing is paragraph 674 of the Catechism of the Catholic Church says, quote, the glorious Messiah's coming is suspended every moment of history until his recognition by all Israel. Right. I mean, I, I, I don't know, but you look around and we might be getting close to the second coming. Who knows? Oh, yeah. yeah but we're, we're, I mean, you know, there's nothing wrong with praying, come quickly, Lord Jesus. We're supposed to pray right. for the second coming, right? So, um, and, and their second coming can't happen until there's a conversion of the Jews. Right. So, um, and, you know, share, the reason I called the book Salvation is from the Jews is I think that it would be really good if Catholics, when they are talking to Jewish friends or relatives or whatever, if they just reflect to them how wonderful they think it is to be Jewish, mm -hmm. that, wow, St. Saint, Saint Ignatius of Loyola was accused of having Jewish blood. You probably know the story of the Muranos yep. and the Conversos and stuff. Correct. And what his response was, it's not true. I don't have Jewish blood, but if I did, I could imagine no greater honor than being related by blood to our Redeemer. Wow. Yeah, that's right. You know, so so um, I think it it would be useful if if Catholics um, reflected this res respect. I mean, the, the, you know, Catholics know the Jews are the chosen people, actually, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, because Jews don't know what they were chosen for <laughs> because nothing seems to have happened, right? All right. But Catholics know what they were chosen for. They were chosen to bring salvation to all of mankind through the Messiah, which they did do. Right. So I think that if they, if, if, if 
a Jew could see th through Catholic eyes the nobility of Jewish identity and of being Jewish, that would in itself help. Wow, that's amazing. So I guess part of our job would be that as well as Jewish members of the church, which is let our Jewish brother brother know uh, that they, we've not been forsaken, that there was a purpose and that for purpose has been fulfilled. And it just means that we can go together to continue to spread this goodness, the light of the Messiah. Uh, before we end, because I don't want to take too much of your time, do you mind if we take a couple of questions from the audience? Yeah. Um, let's see what else I see. I see, do Jews believe in purgatory? And what do Jews believe about purgatory? So what... Well, that's that? a really good question. And that's a question that I can give a half an hour answer to. First of all, uh, Jews do believe in purgatory because they believe in the first and second Maccabees, book of the Maccabees. Um, and um, they wouldn't have Hanukkah if they didn't believe in the Maccabees because right. uh, Hanukkah celebrates the story of the Maccabees. Right. Um, and in there, it says explicitly, I think it also says in the book of Tobit, but I'm not sure, mm -hmm. uh, in the book of Maccabees about the importance of praying for the dead if they die in apparent sin, uh, right. which is the case because these people had pagan amulets on when they died. So obviously, if they are in hell, it, there'd be no reason to pray for them. If they're in heaven, there's no reason to pray for them. They must be in a state where they need prayer. So that's basically purgatory. Mm -hmm. um, but the other side of the coin is um, there is very, very little teaching uh, direct teaching in the Old Testament about the afterlife. Mm -hmm. And there's a good reason for that. And that's because essentially there was no afterlife until Jesus came, right? On Holy Saturday, he descended to the dead. It's translated hell, but it shouldn't be translated as hell, actually. Correct. He descended to the dead mm -hmm. and he opened the gates of heaven and all of the just who died before Holy Saturday we're in what's called the limbo of the just or limbo of the fathers, waiting for the Messiah to come to make heaven available to them. Right. So it makes sense that before essentially anyone was in heaven, there wasn't much discussion of heaven in right. the Old Testament. <laughs> Absolutely. Excellent. Now, another question that we have over here. Uh, let's see. Mm. Um, can I, I, I see some questions. I, I, quick go ahead, answer. go ahead. Yeah. Does, praying, does praying to the saints come from Jewish heritage? Absolutely. You go to Israel, go to, um, go to Safat, and you'll find graves of all, uh, not all, but all these famous wonder worker rabbis mm -hmm. died hundreds of years ago, in some case, thousands of years ago. They all have specialties. So if you're like a woman who wants to find a husband, you go to so-and-so's grave and you pray to, for their intercession. If if you're a woman who can't uh, conceive and you want to have a child, you go to someone else's grave and pray for their intercession. You know, if it's a matter of illness, you go to someone else's. I don't think they have a St. Anthony to find lost roses, <laughs> but, but they have everything else. Um, the praying to the saints for their intercession is uh, is very embedded into Judaism. And one of the Protestant canards is that it's a Catholic invention. You know, it's very un-Jewish to pray for the intercession of the saints. But just go to go to Safat or their cemeteries in the Ukraine, because Hasidism comes from the Ukraine and Poland, Lithu uh, not Lithuania, less. Um, and and there there's a day, I forgot what day it is, um, maybe somehow Torah, but I'm not sure. But there's a day when there are like 200,000 Hasidic Jews from all over the world at this one rabbi's grave to oh, pray wow. for his intercession. So, um, That's... Uh, so anyway, yeah, Jews pray to the saints. Now, I do see another question here that I, I kind of want to see your view on it. I, I have a view. Uh, but basically it says replacement theology are we the new Israel and how does it work in conjunction with current day Israel? This seems to upset Jews and fundamentalists. So what's your view or your take on replacement theology? Okay, first of all, uh, present day Israel, you're already, I think, going off track. If you mean 
uh, present day Jews, that then I can answer that question. If you mean the nation state of Israel, I think you're in a whole other, um, you know, ballpark. Right. So, so replacement theology basically deals with the idea that um, has the church replaced Israel in the eyes of God? And I think the answer to that is actually much simpler than people think, which is you have to separate the sacramental value of Old Testament Judaism from the election of the Jews, okay? Put a wall between them. On the one hand, you have the election of the Jews, the promises that God made to Abraham and to a seed forever, Genesis uh, 12 or 22, um, versus the sacramental system for salvation in the Old Testament, which required animal sacrifice, which required the temple. The sacramental system of Old Testament Judaism, that ended. That ended at the time of the crucifixion. Uh, we know that from the letter to the Hebrews. Um, we even know that from the Talmud, but I don't have time to go there. Yeah. The sacramental, the temple was destroyed in 70 AD, so there has been no animal sacrifice anyway for almost 2,000 years. Sacramental Judaism ended and was replaced with, bad news for you Protestants, the sacramental Catholic <laughs> Church. That's because right. there are actually seven sacraments, not just one or none or three or whatever. But anyway, That's right. be that as it may. So, yes, sacramental Judaism has been replaced by sacramental Christianity. The election of the Jews has not been replaced. Mm -hmm. um, the, there is still, look, St. Paul, and you have to believe St. Paul, even if you're, or especially if you're Protestant, right? Mm -hmm. St. Paul says in Romans 11, um, um, as regards the gospel, there are enemies of God for your sake, but as regards election, they are still beloved of God for the sake of their forefathers, for the gifts and the promise of God are irrevocable. Amen. I think that's 1126 or something yeah. Yeah. In, in the letter to the Romans. Um, and, the, and of course, the recent popes have repeated that. John Paul, well, that line was repeated in Nostra Aetate in Vatican yes. II. It was repeated by uh, John Paul II. It was repeated by Benedict um, and so forth. So, uh, but as regards election, they are still beloved of God for the sake of their forefathers, for the gifts and the call of God are irrevocable. So you see, it becomes simple if you separate the election from sacramental Judaism. Well, that brings us to the end of the interview pretty much from a couple of weeks ago on the uh, podcast, The Jewish Catholic, hosted by another very enthusiastic Jewish entrant into the Catholic Church, Daniel Suazo. And I hope you found the discussion uh, that we had interesting. And uh, I apologize for the interests of time. I had to slice out a couple of, a couple of um, little sections. So if there was anything a little choppy, that's why. And that pretty much brings us to the end of the time we have today. So again, I hope you enjoyed it. You've been listening to Jesus, the Promised Messiah of Judaism on Radio Maria with me, your host, Roy Showman. And I hope you join us again next week, same time, same place. Bye for now.